three, two, one. Welcome guys, welcome back to another episode of It's the Love of God for Me. I am your host, Lenisha, and we are back with another episode, another season. As you guys have been tuning in, you know that this season is all about testimonies. And it's just some amazing testimonies that God has been doing on this platform. I really do hope that you are impacted thus far by the testimonies that you have heard from the servants of God. And today we have more for you. We have a very special speaker that has come today to share with us his testimony. But before we introduce him to the world, I want to take this time before I go any further to acknowledge the presence of the Holy Spirit, hallelujah, that is in our midst. His word says, where two are gathered in his name, touching anything concerning him, is in the midst. And though we're not physically gathering, but I believe we're gathering by heart. Amen. And the Lord promised to be in the midst. So Holy Spirit, we just want to acknowledge your presence and to let you know, Lord, that we really appreciate you being here with us. And we just ask that you will have your own way and let your will be done. And so we are asking you to speak. Speak, oh God. Your people would love to hear from you. Hallelujah. And so we dedicate, rededicate this platform to you. We rededicate our hearts and our minds, hallelujah, and our spirit man to you, our soul to you, that the world will see you, hallelujah, your image that is upon us and not ourselves, hallelujah. And so we thank God for his presence that is richly in our atmosphere. I hope you can feel him. I can feel him and I believe that he's with us. Amen and amen. Now, uh, we always, well, I would say prior to me starting any of these episodes, especially season, well, all of them, but I'm referring to season four, I usually, you know, talk to the Lord and dedicate the episode to him and ask him to have his way in private, but I, I feel like I want to start publicly, you know, acknowledging his presence each time I come on this platform because he's a real person, right? And, you know, not just for myself, but even for my listeners to know that we really, really put everything in the hands of God. We cannot do this on our own. You know, this testimony is not to glorify ourselves, but it is to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. One thing I want to say again before I get into today's episode, we have been having some challenges this season, guys. 
I've said this before in previous episode, and I want to take the time out to say it today, just in case, um, that I don't know, for some strange reason, since I started this season, there have been a lot of technical difficulties. I never experienced these difficulties in seasons prior, when I, as it relates to technical. I don't know what is happening, but I am trusting God that he who had started this good work will finish it regardless of the difficulties that come along the way. So sometimes you might hear a little glitches in the recordings and feedback, and I know that it can sound a little bit uncomfortable, but I'm asking you guys to please bear with us. Please bear with us. We're trying our very best to get these um, podcast, this podcast or these recordings as clear as possible for you guys. And so I'm just asking you to bear with us as we go through the season. And um, I hope that you will be able to get the point instead of focusing on the technical difficulty aspect of it. So with that being said, I would want to take this time to welcome our guest that is here with us today. His name is Dylan Aniki. I hope I'm not butchering his name, butchering his name. I hope I'm pronouncing it correct. And Dillion has come today to share with us the goodness of God and what God has done for him. Uh, just a little backstory of who Dillion or Dillon, sorry, I see me start butchered the man name already. <laughs> Dillon Anike. Um, just a little background of who. Mr. Aniki is. He is the third of four children for his parents. His parents, uh, Daniel and Yvette Aniki. His father, Daniel, is also a pastor and they reside in the parish of St. Anne, Jamaica. So for those of you that are not from Jamaica, there's a city in Jamaica called St. Anne. No, I can't. Did I ever visit St. Anne before? Uh, maybe, no. Maybe. Um, I'm really not good at landmarking places or remembering places that I've visited. But I, I want to hope I've visited St. Anne before. And guys, I just like all the cities in Jamaica... I know that St. Anne has some nice, nice, nice things about it, right? So Dylan Aniki is a past student of the York Castle High School, as well as the Jamaica Theological Seminary, where he obtained a bachelor's in arts, guidance, and counseling. Dylan is a... Christian, of course, a musician, a songwriter, and a preacher of the word of God, right? He has been a guidance counselor for approximately six years and is currently a guidance counselor at the, um, this is a boot, a boot not Gallimore High School. In addition, Gillian, um, Dylan, sorry, is a youth president at the Welcome United Pentecostal Church and is a strong, strong believer in the power of mentorship above all. He is dedicated to mentoring and encouraging boys to walk in the purpose 
they were created for and also activate every word of God given gift, every word of every, every um sorry, every God given gifts and talents that may be dormant. Very, very powerful introduction. And for those of you that you would like to speak with a counselor, you can reach out. I will definitely um I need to make a note of this that I would definitely um, put in the Q&A section the option for you to respond there uh, in case you would like to reach out to Delon for some counseling or to learn more about his counselorship, then you are able to do so, right? So you hear it. You hear it about who this servant of the Lord is and I'm just going to leave him to share more with you. Dylan Aniki, welcome to the podcast. It's the love of God for me. We are delighted, sir, to have you here with us today. And we cannot wait to hear what God will do through you in the lives or in the ears of his people. So, sir, welcome and uh, welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Are you able to hear me? Yes, we can hear you. All right, perfect. Uh, I, I thank you for the invitation and also for um, the privilege of being here today um, just to share um, my testimony. And I, I, I just want to say this before um, I go any further, that I understand very clearly why you are experiencing all the challenges you are when it comes to this season. Because, you know, um, when I first thought about doing this, I, my initial feeling was to not share my testimony. But then the scripture was, you know, turning over and over in my mind. And they overcame by the <laughs> blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And, you know, who we overcame is the dragon. And so he knows that. There is a victory that is won when we share our testimonies. Uh, there is a victory that is won in our lives personally, but also when somebody hears that they are not alone in their experiencing and in their struggles and in their trials, even in their failures. So I know that that is why you are experiencing all the technical difficulties, all the challenges, because the enemy does not want these testimonies to go out. And so I just want to add my voice to that as well. Yes, 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 indeed, Dylan, right? I think I want to call you Mr. Anike because you see, first name, I really don't want to butcher it in a story. So um, I want to stay with the last name, Mr. Anike, right? So guys, and I cannot agree anymore with what, what the servant of the Lord is saying to us right now. In fact, when you say, sir, that the scripture has been turning over and over in your mind, I want to tell you that the base foundation of this season testimony is, 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 is from that scripture. That is the scripture that we are using in this testimony that says, and they overcame by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. That Praise is the God. scripture that we are using in this season as our, our foundation. And, um, you know, 
I, I, when I heard you saying how it was turning over in your mind, what came to my spirit is that I remember asking the Lord specifically to send me the people for this season. I said, God, I don't want to just be, be, be choosing persons, but I want you to choose the people that you have chosen to be bold enough this season to come on here and share their testimony. And I'm so glad that the Holy Spirit would have, you know, encouraged you and pull you to come on here and share your testimony, seeming that you mentioned that at first you didn't really want to. So we're really grateful for what God has done and is about to do and will continue to do. Now, sir, I want for you to tell us, I, I was going to say who is the, uh, who is Mr. Aniki, but I... I think your bio says it all. Guys, by the way, I forgot to add that Dylan Aniki is a single man. He's single and he is currently without children. And he would love to have in the future, by God's grace, a wife and children, just two. And guess what? He's very specific. A girl first. All right. So I'm just putting that out there. <laughs> right. So, um, Mr. Aniki, please tell us. Take us all the way back to where it all started for you. I want you to tell the listeners today, what was life like growing up as a child? All right. So uh, this is a, a very interesting thing going all the way back. But it, it is one of the, the fondest times of my life. Um, as I mentioned before, or as you mentioned, I'm from St. Anne, and I'm currently sitting right now in my childhood home, um, where I grew, grew up, where it all started. Um, I'm all the way in the hills of St. Anne um, in Alexandria. And... Um, so without doubt, you would know um, I am from very humble beginnings. Uh, myself and my siblings were very close in age. Um, my two sisters are a year and two years ahead of me. So we were very close. I have a brother that came uh, four years after I did. But then we were still all very close. Um, but from humble beginnings, my father, who is a pastor, no, was not a pastor when I was very young. He was a deacon in the church. Um, and he's also a farmer, right? My mother taught basic school at the church. So we used to go to the church to go to basic school. And my mother taught me there before. She also went into teaching at the infant school in the community. So again, very humble beginnings. And the, the, the thing that I loved though was that we never knew that we were poor. We never knew that we didn't have much because of how or how we were raised. Um, and, you know, we were raised to be satisfied with, you know, what we got. Um, and that allowed for us um, to be, be very content, you know, in our experiences. Um, but without a doubt, the most important part of my upbringing was the fact that we were, you know, from a very tender age in the church. We were always going to church. And so that was my foundation. That was my basis. I tell you that I, my, my mind was so church-minded 
that even when I was seven years old, I was not a Christian, but I was seven years old. And I did not want to become eight years old because I was so fascinated with the, the fact. I, I don't know where I heard it, but I heard that seven was God's favorite number. Not the, not the, perf, not the number of perfection, but that it was his favorite number. So I wanted to just stay seven years old. So I was not happy that my birthday was coming up or anything like that. That was how church-minded I was. That there just, just some simple things in the world revolved around my world. I remember you know, my father was a teacher of the word for from those times. So he would be teaching Bible studies because the, the, the pastor was, you know, older and he was um, many times struggling with health issues. And so my father was in a lot of leadership roles and did a lot of work in the church during those years so he would teach um the bible and he would teach revelation and one of the fondest memories i have is after my friends um come to church and they hear the word and they are they're so confused about revelation i would be explaining to them you know from the book of revelation and i in my adult years um was just blown away by how that even was um but the truth is I got baptized at the age of nine. Uh, myself and my sisters, we, we all were baptized, but we struggled for a long time to receive the Holy Ghost. You know, um, I, throughout my years, never experienced anything that you'd consider supernatural. I was always, though, observing all the things that would happen in church and they would fascinate me. But, you know, and with all of that not being a part of my life, but I had friends who, you know, received the Holy Ghost at, you know, age eight years old. And, you know, I would see them just laying hands on adults. And, you know, just I had friends who started preaching at 11 years old and 14 years old. And that kind of caused me in many ways to drift from God because I was not experiencing a lot of, you know, those things that my my friends were experiencing. Um, and so I, I started to resent being called a Christian. Um, I had a nickname, John the Baptist. I was being called that even before I was baptized. And I used to not be happy with being called John the Baptist or anything associated with Christianity. So I started to kind of to, to, to de develop a persona that was, you know, more pleasing to the world. And so I, while I was always still at church, I still participating in church and all of that, when I went to school, there was a difference. You know, I, I started to act out to, to, the, to impress the world. Um, and so there was that um, level of transition there. But I, I, I think that, you know, looking back now, God had a plan um, for my life. And there were many things that I had to experience um, in order to get me to hear. Um, I will tell you, though, that, you know, my parents were 
model parents to me um, because they, they were very patient with me through all of my experiences. But I, I just want to pause here because I believe, you know, I have said a whole lot, um, but needless to say, um, you know, God has been faithful. Awesome. Awesome. Right. And so, Delon Aniki, you are saying to us that you were raised in church. So from a younger age, the scripture had fulfilled in your life that says, teach the child the way they should go, right? So that when they are old, they will not depart. And there are other scriptures that talk about the importance of um, binding the word of God and the things of God around the neck of the children and around their hands and around their feet because these things are life to them while they get older. And so you had that scripture manifested in your life because God had positioned parents that would ensure that they plant that seed um, of God in your heart. And it was so important to you then. You, you understood the importance of walking on the path of the Lord to the point where when you became age seven, <laughs> you know, I think that part of the information that you gave us is a bit, it's a bit cute for a child to have that kind of mindset. At age seven, you love the Lord so much that you have heard number seven is, a, is one of God's um, special number. And you didn't want to get a, a, a year older and not be seven anymore. And so you were very sad when your birthday was coming up um, because you know that you will no longer be that quote-unquote favorite number. Um, I can relate to that in the sense, not the age, but I've always had it in my heart that seven is a special number to the Lord. And um, my birthday is December 7th. And I always see it as something very special to me because of that fact that it is a special number to God. So I can relate in some sense, what you're saying there as well. And so you grow up and at the age of nine, you decide to get baptized. Now, you said that you start to observe some things because of course you love God so much and you want to experience the things of God so bad in terms of his power through you. And when you realize that you're not getting the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you started to get discouraged. Um, so I want you to now take us into a little more of feeling like you're being pulled away from the things of God because of that endurance. And I'm going to tell you um, further down in the testimony what I think was happening there, but I need to hear the rest of your testimony before I can, you know, finish concluding that. But you... I want you to tell us after feeling like, okay, then you love God so much, you're involved in the things of God so much, but you cannot get his spirit. How oh, oh, that must make you feel, right? And and not just that, where did that pull you? What 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 part did that endurance um, pulled you onto? Please go ahead and tell us, sir. Yes. Well, 
first of all, let me take a little commercial break to say that my birthday is December 9th. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, but yes. And, and, and another interesting fact was that there was, from I was a very young child, I can't even think about the age now. But there was always this knowing, I, I, I consider it a knowing, that I would be a part of the God's end time army. Because I told you, um, as a child, I used to explain revelation. And I just felt like I, I would somehow be a part of the end time part of the church. I knew it. There was just this feeling. But of course, as I said, while I, I had that feeling as a child, I was not experiencing anything supernatural. I was not receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And it, 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 there was a certain level of frustration that was there. And so, um, of course, I told you, we are, we are from humble beginnings. So even the community that I'm from, the school, the primary school there is very small. I was like nine students in a gr my grade six, and I came first in my class and you know, passed my GSAT to go to high school. And I told you, my name was John the Baptist. Uh, so, so all my friends used to call me John the Baptist. When I went to high school, I had 40-odd students in my class. And, of course, there were students from all walks of life. And I, very early in grade 7, fell, you know, in the crowds that were, you know, maybe not the ones focused on education. And so... Uh, I was now exposed to a world that I was not exposed to before because I was a very sheltered child um, back home. And uh, of course, the only thing that I experienced was church and was God and, you know, the things of God. So, so that, you know, I mean, when I talk about disciplined child, my parents could leave the house and say, do not go on the road. And they would not even believe that we would take a step to the gate that's how um much they, they they knew that we were well-behaved children but when i went to high school and you know I, I fell in with the crowd and so on there was a certain level of um you know i started not going to classes from grade seven um it was a practice that i, I started colleague school and in fact, I started smoking weed in grade nine. Um, I did that. And so the, the, the more my years progressed, I, I continued on the same path. I had a best friend who was going to the school with me. He was a year ahead of me. And when he was in grade 11, he was the deputy head boy. And I always compared and contrast my life with him, how while he was just doing all of the good things and, you know, living for God, I was really just, you know, being a real nuisance in many ways. Um, nuisance in the school, we formed a gang in grade nine. We had um, uh, a gang that we were fighting with. Um, and so there were a lot of fights, some violence. Um, I used to carry weapons to school. There is even a time when there, there was everybody gave me their weapons. And so I had my bag full of about 11 to 12 persons' weapons. And I went right 
on the steps of a police station with my bags filled with the weapons. My God. I, one of my friends were locked up for extortion. This is when we were in grade 11. And so all my friends wanted to visit him. So they gave me the weapons, expecting that I would have gone home. But I just walked and was on the steps of the police station. And I remember we were just at the, at, on the steps, just giving jokes and messing around. And one of the officers looked at me and said, where you live? And I said, Alexandra. So he said, Alexandra Bosna didn't know where you are. So go on your yard, man. And he just ran me away. And I, I always thought about, you know, what would it life be like if he had then interned it? Come here, let me search you. You know, mm-hmm. in my bag were knives, knives, there were axes, there were a, a number of weapons, ratchet knives. The, 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 the scope of weapons were so wide, I tell you. But, and, and I, because I was smoking at the time, I was taking risks that I didn't care about. I could not understand how dangerous a life I was living at the time. You know, um, there's even one time uh, a student from another school came on campus, robbed two of my classmates of their phones, and they pointed it out to me. I ran down this student, and he was running away from me, and I was throwing stones at him. And when I went back on campus, there were my friends that would come here and say, you don't even know what you just did. You were just running, chasing down somebody, throwing stones at them who had a gun. He robbed my friends with a gun. I didn't know. But I was chasing him and I was throwing stones at him. And that was one of the days I looked at if this young man at any time felt like you know, turning that weapon on me, he could have easily done so. And um, at that time, none of those instances where, you know, there was these acts of violence did I ever, or risky behavior, felt at any point. I, I used to laugh about things like those. But I, I remember that God used to shelter me so much. God protected me so much through that. Because there were times when my friends even, they would have um, altercations with grown men on the road. There are times when grown men even came on campus with weapons for them and um, confronted one of my friends, but I was not at school that day. Um, And, you know, it was so, it was one of the first time I knew God was sheltering me. Because I remember when uh, uh, one of my classmates said, because they called me John Blade. So it, it, my name changed from John the Baptist in primary school to John Blade in high school. And, and I remember when the, one of my classmates said, you know, if Blade was here that day, it wouldn't have gone like that. And I was thinking that it may be true, that maybe I would have intervened. But in intervening, maybe I would have gotten myself in more trouble. I maybe would have even gotten hurt. And and that was one instance in, in many where on campus there would be some there, there were times as I told you we were um we were we were so um sheltered and 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 so 
I wouldn't use the word poor, but we didn't go to like barbecues and so on. So those things were privileges. And so I remember a lot of times when there were any kind of violence that happened, it was at barbecue, but my parents never sent me, you know? And so all I would do is get reports of all the, you know, acts of violence that happened then. And I, I always just remember that, you know, God was sheltering me through that time. And I, I look at it um, how I allowed all of those influences, you know, from being um, involved with smoking to being in a gang and all of that, how many times it could have be turned out for the worse. Um, but God was, you know, my shelter during those times. And I, I remember after looking back now on all of that, how, you know, I should have died. And it is retroactively that I can give God praise because in those times, I wasn't thanking God. I was always just, you know, wishing I would have been able to be there all those times, not understanding that, you know, how frail our lives were and that I could have been cut off in so many instances. Amen and amen. Wow. I, I, I love that your testimony is so transparent and so detailed. And um, I, there's so many points that I want to revisit that you mentioned because just in case our listeners are trying to understand what this means or what when you said this part, they would want you to say a little bit more about it. I'm going to just touch on a few points that stood out to me the most. One of which you mentioned that um, there was a season in your life that you had started smoking, right? And myself being a, an smoker, you know, I can relate to what you're saying when you said that you, you you started to smoke weed to, and it was so bad to the point where you'd find yourself in dangerous situation and not even aware, like that that consciousness or that, that fear of what if the situation turned out that way, you were not even aware of. When you mentioned about standing um, in the police, are on the police um, territory or police station. You were there and you your bag was filled with weapons, right? And it's like, I don't know until, you know what I'm saying? And not just that you also mentioned about one incident where you were chasing down this guy with who had a gun, even though you didn't know that part of it. But the fact is that this man would just rob somebody him could have a knife, him could have a weapon. These thieves, they usually have some sort of weapon, ice pick or something like that on them to defend themselves. What if the man had really turned around and attacked you? But you were not really so conscious and this is because you had opened up a door of weed smoking or, or taking in substances. And listeners, I just want to say to you, and as I said, all of that, I'm saying that to say this, that smoking and drinking, it alters your will. 
right? It, it, it alters your will. And what this means is that your will, you get to think and to choose, right? But when you are opening yourselves up to these substances, it's no longer you deciding to choose. Or, or even if you are choosing, you're not, you're not aware. You're not able to think then. You're not able to think about the, the consequences of, if I do this, what can happen? Does that make sense? Um, Dillian, do you want to expand a little bit more on what I'm saying as it relates to how these substances can alter one's will? Yeah, so, so you know, um, that is why they use the term under the influence. Because what happens is that a lot of times when you are allowing substances um, to take control, you might think you're in control. But it is really the substances has, 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 has taken over and is now the thing that is allowing you to do and to act. Because for me, I can give an example of there was this time there was, I was at school. I was in grade 11 and there was this grade 7 boy standing in front of me. Um, one of my friends you know, was a part of my gang. Like slapped me in my head back and then he ran off. There were some broken tiles in front of me. I took up one of those tiles and I was throwing it past the grade seven boy to after my friend. But the tile hit the grade seven boy in his back. Now it was a few inches from this boy's head. And when I talk about tile, I'm talking about the heavy tiles that are so thick, but then it it, it was broken. So it, there were some pointed edges that if that tile had hit that boy, that boy, I for sure believe he would have been dead. The force with it, I threw it. Um, and when it hit the boy, I felt no remorse. I felt no regret. I started laughing. And, and I knew that, you know, I, me personally, I would never have done that. And even if I did do it because I was throwing it at somebody else, I would have experienced remorse or regret. But I didn't have, experience any of that. I was really just laughing and then chasing my friend down. And didn't even look on the on the boy, so I don't even know who that boy is to this day. You know, I didn't. So even if he was seriously injured, I would not have cared. I would not have. Uh, and so we we understand that a lot of times that you know these substances they take control of our will and they allow us to do things that sometimes would be out of character. But, you know, one of the things that I used to try to say I was controlling weed smoking was that when I was in grade nine, I didn't know how to roll a spliff. And so I used to allow other persons to roll my spliff for me so that in the summer times and time, or times when I was away from the bad influences, I would not smoke. And that worked for a while. But that also was a very dangerous thing. Yes. And, and, and those persons who smoke will know or understand how dangerous it is to be allowing somebody else to roll something that you are going to be smoking. And, but I did that for a long period of, time, um, of my life just to control 
um, and not allow myself to be um, addicted. In my mind, I was doing a good job at that when I was in grade nine and grade 10 because, you know, when it was summertime, I would not smoke at all. Uh, and so in my mind, I was in control of the habit. But it got to grade 11, and then I was smoking eight spliff a day. I was not going to school. We, we, we were like just meeting at our friend's house whose parents were overseas. And we would just cook food and just smoke the entire day. And so at that point, it got out of control to the point now where I started to search out persons who smoked in my community. Because remember, I can't roll weed and I have to do it in secret because my father is a pastor too. And so I found friends who um smoked and I would go to their house and smoke as well. So, you know, after a while, that smoking took over my life. So much so that I, I, I didn't have any ambition anymore. I told you, I, I came first in my class in primary school, but I didn't have any ambition. Even I left high school with five subjects and I still didn't pursue anything um, going to college or anything. I was just home because I, I left high school when I was 16 years old. And for the that time, all I was doing was just roaming the streets, um, you know, if I can make a $500 here, so I'd, I'd make the $500 and, you know, buy weed and, and, and maybe a drink. And that would be my life. For Right. And so, Annie, uh, Dillian, are you still there? I am, I am. Right, I, we just heard you cut out for a minute. So let me let me just um, add a little bit to what you are saying here. Now, talk about altering your will with these substances. Many persons don't believe that this thing is truth, you know, but having persons like us that have experienced this, we are sure with what we are saying, that smoking and drinking it does alter your will and as the servant of the lord mentioned this is why it is it is called um what, what was the term that you gave it earlier being under the influence under the influence thank you that's why it is called being under the influence because you are actually under the influence of something and if we should look at this from a spiritual perspective i would definitely say that there are demons that is behind these substances as well, right? And these spirit wants a person open up their self to partake in these substances that I believe were invented by the inspiration of these same spirit, right? So for example, if I create this, I'm just going to say, uh, sir, if I create this pen and this pen belongs to me. It's my pen. I created it or I invented it. You come and you take the pen. I have all right to come and do whatever I want to do because it's mine. It belongs to me, right? And so yes. in the sense, what I'm saying is that these substances, I believe, were influenced to be invented by these unclean spirits. And when we partake in the things of the devil, the Bible said, don't be partakers of the devil's table. 
once we start to partake of anything from the devil, and we know that these things kept, could not possibly possible um, be created by God or invented by God. We know that God did not inspire man to make these things because these things are things that destroy humanity. It destroys many, many lives. And God says, my will is for you to be prosperous, right? To bring you good and an expected end. So anything that contradicts that, it's not God's will. And if it's not God's will, whose will is it? Must be yeah. something will, right? And so we believe that this is these things are invented or 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 inspired by the enemy to be invented by men. And when we go and we partake from the devil's table, we are actually inviting that spirit. Whatever spirit that gave that inspiration, it's like we have opened ourselves up to these spirits to come into our lives and know that person is under the influence of that spirit itself, right? Yes. That spirit begin to alter that person's will. And it's just like the man, thank you, Holy Spirit, that had these demons in the tomb. He was mm -hmm. cut himself. It's not yes. his to destroy his body. It's the same thing, mm -hmm. right? Because the these, spirit that hated him. Yes, these substances, mm -hmm. when you when you partake in them, you not just destroy yourself, but you also destroy others. This man was destroying himself by cutting himself, sleeping um, in graveyard or whatever place that Jesus found him at the time, and 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 living a life that was below human standard of living. Right, yes. he was in a life that was even worse than the animal itself. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we know that there were spirits that we saw that in scriptures that had altered his will. How did those spirits enter into him? The scripture didn't say, but they were there and they were in him and they were operating through him, causing him to cause self-destruction. So this is yeah. what substances does. It alters your will. And you know that demon that is behind these substances are the one that is a driving force in your life. You also mentioned something I want to touch on when you said that your name was changed from John the Baptist to John the Blade. And when yes. you said I could just hear the subtleness of the enemy, the yes. enemy knew that you are a purpose child. The enemy would have observed and remember, you know, the spirit, they see what we can't see. You know, they, their intelligence this is torture. So when we don't know who we are and we take a while to figure out our identity, demons, just as well as angels, they know when you're a purpose, when you are created for a specific purpose. They know. And yes. so that mark has been upon you ever since you were born from a younger age persons are saying john the baptist and so yeah. the enemy must have um monitor you in such a way that it got to a point where he was able to convert pervert mm -hmm. that yes. name that god has given you to from john the baptist to john the blade or john blade right yes and we see when you were called John Blade, how your life was like and what how you were operating. I wanted to ask you though, um, Dylan, were your parents aware? I heard you said your mother wasn't, your father wasn't, like you had to hide from doing certain things. 
where they're concerned. But were they aware? Were they able to pick up that you had strayed on this path? path? So, so that that's where my my story um was really unique, and I and I and I tell you this because I first of all I am a firm believer in the power of names. That every name has a meaning, and every time somebody calls that name they are speaking a certain destiny they are speaking out something over your life and that's why i believe that you know even the very act of naming a child is important mm-hmm. um because i will see the example that it is the angels that gave the um, john the baptist's name you know it, it is not co- because persons were influencing and saying call him this because he's from this tribe and so on. There's never been anybody in the tribe with this name. So call him something from that tribe. And, you know, the father was insistent because he got the message from the angel to name him John the Baptist. And even Jesus, there is prophecy of what we should call him. The angels told what he should be called. And And so I believe that, you know, naming children is important. And so, yes, and we even see also how God changed person's name. And when, when he changed their names, you know, it's almost like their destiny um, was changed as well. Um, so I believe that that is exactly what I encountered where when my name was changed from John the Baptist to John Blade. However, my, my story was not just that I, my name was totally changed and my actions changed. So I am in the hills of St. Anne. Um, I went to school in Brownstone. That's like two taxis away. And so they, they, it's, a, it's, a, it's a little distance. So that um, many things that were happening at school, my parents knew nothing about, right? However, my friends knew, and they used to call me pastor boy as well, even though my, pa- my father wasn't a pastor yet. But I was in grade nine, a very innocent child when, it, when I was in the community. I was playing the drums at church. There was even one time this minister came um, to our church and he gave me a word. He couldn't even say the word in English because of the hearers that were around. He spoke in tongues, giving me a word. I didn't understand what it meant and I didn't ask him. But I believe, you know, that, you know, God was doing even something, even from that act. But I was very innocent at church. So I, I used to make a joke that I was John the Baptist at home and John Blade at school. And I perfected the art of, you know, playing this dual role of, you know, being deceptive in my behavior. So I was very innocent. So my parents did not know. It was at a time when I rededicated my life to God and I gave my testimony that they knew. However, there were points that my parents got some inkling that I was straying on the wrong path. There was one time I came in the house smelling of, you know, weed. And my mother's um, smelling is very sensitive. And she stopped me and she was like, are you smoking? I said, no, I was just in an atmosphere and I, t- I called a particular person's name and said those persons were smoking and it just got on me you know and so I, I as I said was very deceptive um, during that period 
until one day I was there was a party in the community and I so, so Dylan you tell us yes. about because we can't wait to hear about that you know because may I tell you your testimony is so transparent I, I I love the transparency let me tell you that and I know that our listeners as well they will appreciate the fact that you are so open and honest and today yeah. we are embarrassing the devil got the devil on a secret for you right yeah. we're shame <laughs> of our past and who we were right because yes have been redeemed the glory to god and Hallelujah. so we tell people and let them know that god is able to take you out of anywhere you are you think it's probably impossible because of the conditions of your life or what you are doing but you can hear on this um platform just like real life story real life experience and just hear oh god really transform lives but before you tell us about the party you know then we want to delay the lawn me i know just forgive me i keep saying Dillion, i keep putting i john is I, fine john is fine john, john the baptist how about john? yeah man we love that name there <laughs> all right so <laughs> we're gonna call him john the baptist as from no one indeed right so john no I want to just take a few steps back because you said something that is very, 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 very important and key to this testimony. It is something that is not really talked about, but is very, very important to talk about. You mentioned that at home, you were John the Baptist. In other yes. words, you were portraying that Christian life. But mm -hmm. at school... You were John the Blade, right? Yes. Um, and so you were even at church and you're playing German, but you had all these struggles. Mm -hmm. And it's as if, you know, persons barely picked up on that. Or maybe you probably have a few servants that the Lord, because I know how God sometimes he kind of cover certain or cover his people in the yes. sense that he knows that he wants us to really change and to really get it together. Um mm -hmm. He's not a God that just run and exposes people like that. He is very kind and patient. And not just us, but in general, that's how God is. He'll give you time. He'll give you time to repent, right? So in, while we're in that season of being double-minded, right? Um, I, I really want to touch on that because even today in church, I do believe that there are many persons that are in the church that is double-minded, they on Sunday they are saved and then for the rest of the week they are not right and it's not to bash anybody you know but it's to be transparent and let the world know that listen Christians struggle too Christians yes. struggle too it's just that some of us are not so open to talk about it because we are afraid of the stigma that might come with it while we are you know dealing with that kind of double life but the truth is, there. I believe even now, there are many Christians that are in the church that are living a double life. And I'm just, I, 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 Lord, we pray that even those that are currently living a double life, as your servant is sharing at one point in his life, he was like that. We pray, God, and we come in agreement that you will really just do for them what you have done for us and many others by really just 
helping them and teaching them to just choose the path of righteousness, bring the deliverance that they need. If it is song of deliverance, bring it, God, whatever it takes, as long as they're able to pick up your cross and follow you. Because these are real life situations and not many people want to talk about it, that there are many persons in church today living a double life. I, I, I want you to tell me something, Dion. Um, John, I keep saying Dylan, Dylan, Lord have mercy on this um, show today. Tell us something. Um, did you at any point try to reach out for help, maybe uh, to any of the heads in the church or to any church brother or sister? Because I know you, 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 you wouldn't really feel comfortable to go to your parents because you mm -hmm. know your parents, they are people that live holy. You said that before, that they were a perfect example in your life. Were your sister aware that you were living this, your sisters, were they aware that you were living this double life? Or did any of your church family, were they able to pour into you? Or did you feel comfortable enough to go to anyone? Tell us a little bit more about that. So I, I, I tell you this, though, that um, my best friend um, finished Bible school at like 17 years old. Um, he was the youngest licensed minister in UBC. Um, that was who my best friend was. Um, another minister was the second youngest licensed minister. I used to travel around with him, even in the, the same state. And, and, and that was God, again, using them to, you know, reach out to me. Because that was how I saw ministry firsthand. You know, I would travel with them. I would see them, um, you know, ministering at different churches and so on. But there was in my life so, some the enemy, you know, would 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 have a set time to enforce bondage, and then he would release at these times. So you know, I was a very good person in my mind when I was at home or in church and so on. I would get emotional in church. I would cry. I would worship. I would do all of those things, you know. Um, so much so that even later on in my life, I refused to go to church. Um, this is before, you know, the, the, the big bang, <laughs> I call it. Um, I refused to go to church because I knew that once I got in the presence of God, I would bawl like a baby. So, you know, I started to avoid church for that sake. Um, so I didn't necessarily reach out to persons, but my friend, um, there was this time that I remember him sending me this message called the angels are talking because I convinced myself that, you know, pastor, now I'm going to have all perfect children. You must have at least one black sheep. That's my th thinking. And so I, I just thought that I was ordained and destined to be the black sheep of the family. And he, when he sent me the message and I watched that message, the angels are talking. The premise was that, you know, that while, while God speak your destiny and the angels profess that destiny in the atmosphere, that the enemy hears it too. And he knows who you are. Just, just to agree with what you said earlier, that the enemy knows who you are and you may be experiencing the deception of the enemy, not understanding that you are a child of the king. And so you start to become in agreement with the enemy, thinking that you are less than. And so the things that 
they, they are, are, are bondage in your life, you accept as your norm. And so I didn't reach out to anybody. I didn't talk to anybody. I didn't um, seek to be free from any of my chains. I saw my chains as my reality, as my destiny. Uh, it moved from me as a child, believing that I was going to be in the end time army of the living God, to being believing that, you know, my life is to smoke weed and just commit sin. Yes. That was my experience. Right. And so <laughs> talk about alteration. The enemy literally altered, well, tried, let's use the word, he tried, but he failed. He tried to alter your destiny, having known that there's a calling that is upon your life. He tried to alter that. Um, and you, you mentioned that the enemy has a set time to, to release you from bondage and then put you back in bondage. And I hear that very clearly. I don't know if others that are listening were able to, to pick that up when you said that. And as you went on to explain how when you would go to church, you find yourself just be feeling free. So you would worship, you would get in that zone of repentance and just get in that zone of just being, being lost and bask into the presence of the Lord. And then, of course, having, having that kind of experience, you wouldn't feel the need to really reach out in that moment or, you know, nobody would be able to say, well, why, why, uh, Aniki, Aniki is not, it not look like himself of lately, man. You know, you know, him used to always be this vibrant person who always worship and play the drum. But of lately, him look out of it. No, because when you were in, when you go to church, the enemy back off. And I think what he wanted to do is to make you, f at that time, felt like um, you are okay and there's no need to cry out for help. Off, but yes so there's no need for you to cry out for help or to to give that impression that something is off and you need help from the the church or members of the church but once you are away from that then here comes the bondage again he you begin to enforce that bondage upon your life and so yes. you, you leave from this minute you 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 basking in the lord and you want to be a christian and the next minute you, you just think that, listen, my life, as you say, all pastor children can be perfect. Maybe you are destined to be the one that is the bad, the bad apple in the bunch, so to speak, right? But the devil is always and will forever be a liar. Amen. Um, this Amen. brings us to the end of today's segment. We are definitely, guys, come on, calm down. Menona said, what? Yes, we are um, wrapping up this segment for now. This is part one of Delon Aniki testimony. Definitely tune in next week for part two, where he will share with us the big bang. Me can't wait to hear the big bang. I mean, no second can't wait to hear it as well. What happened? Read that party, that big experience that he mentioned earlier. And so, guys, please remember to um, share these testimonies with others, 
bless them because I believe that God is doing a great thing in this season. God has sent me some persons that each time I interview them and listen to their testimonies, they are so unique in their own way. And they, the testimonies, they speak to a, a specific group, a specific audience, which at the end of part two, or if we need a part three of uh, Mr. Aniki testimony, we'll definitely hear the, the audience that I believe that God has really led him here to share a word of encouragement with. So we'll talk a little bit more about that in the end of his testimony. But for now, this is where we wrap up things, guys. Remember, tune in next week, Tuesday at 12 p.m., God's willing, and you will hear more of Delon Aniki testimony. Until then, guys, be safe. Remember, let, uh, let the goodness of the Lord always rest upon you. Acknowledge him in all your ways, and he shall direct your path. Delon, do you want to say bye until next time? <laughs> Stay tuned for part two. God bless you all. Thank you, sir. God bless you guys. See you all next week. It's God's love for me. It's his love for me. Hey guys, we all have a story to tell. And my sis has started a podcast called It's the Love of God for Me. On this podcast, she speaks about how God has taken her from a place of brokenness to a place of healing. She speaks about being a victim of sexual abuse, forgiveness, and one bugger things. I'm not going to tell you everything. So just click on her IG handle in the caption. It will take you to her page and you can just click the link in your bio to listen to the episodes, right? The podcast is also available on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Guys, also remember to share because we don't know whose life her story could impact.